Well, we're starting in the season of Lent, and uh, we're going to be studying the book of Jonah. Uh, even though book, the book is only about four chapters long, there's just some great stuff in there, some great lessons on discipleship, how to live the Christian life, and, and then some really great insights on, on the very nature of God. And today we're going to talk about um, heeding the call of God in our life. And it begins this way, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, Son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Good luck with that. Have you ever not wanted to go somewhere? How many times? How many times have you said, I don't want to go? It reminds me of the story of a, of a mother who woke her son up on a Sunday morning to get ready for church, and, and he yelled down, I don't want to go. And she said, well, why not? He said, two reasons. First of all, the services are boring. And, and, and secondly, the people are mean to me. Why should I go? And his mother responded, well, I have two reasons for you. First of all, you're 40 years old. <laughs> and secondly, you're the preacher. Get up and let's go. <laughs> let's face it, we've all had times in our lives when we didn't want to go. Your marriage has hit a rough spot and your wife wants to go for, for counseling and you don't want to go. Or maybe it's, it's 3 o'clock in the morning and the baby wakes up for the feeding your spouse reminds you, it's your turn to get up. Whether it's uh, going to a high school reunion or a tax audit or a root canal, <laughs> we have all at times said, what? I don't want to go. And this is especially difficult when you know that it's something that God wants you to do. You know it's God's will. You know it's the right thing. But you don't want to go. And we don't want to go, and we have our good reasons. So our scripture today is about a man who did not want to go. And most of us know this as a fish story. When we think of Jonah, we think of, of a whale. But, but really, it's, it's a faith story. And it's easy to miss the point if you merely focus on a big fish swallowing Jonah. Some people get sidetracked by that. But what Jonah is really about is about a, a man who disobeyed God and then was made by God to confront his reasons for not wanting to go. The story begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah and saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah declines God's offer and found a ship going to Tarshish, which just happened to be going in the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. He paid the fare, got on board, and sailed west. Now, to be fair to Jonah, he had two very good reasons for not wanting to go. One reason was he hated Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, an empire that dominated that part of the world for about 300 years. It was brutally militaristic, brutally so, hated by every nation, including Israel. 
which had been threatened by this force, this empire from the east. And so nothing would please Jonah more than to see God's wrath fall upon the city. The second reason was fear. He feared for his safety. You see, the Assyrians despised Jews as much as the Jews despised Assyria. And imagine if God today would call you to go to modern-day Assyria, which happens to be Iraq, and tell you to go there and to preach the gospel. <laughs> would you go? What would you do? So Jonah decides to decline God's invitation, and he takes the first boat to Tarshish. God had called Jonah for a mission, but he didn't want to go. Now, the truth is, is that every Christ follower here today has a call from God. God calls each and every one of us to be deeply involved in some form of hands-on personal mission through which God uses us to be a blessing to other people for the cause of Christ. And so God is calling us to risk anything, to do anything, to change anything in order to help people experience the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ and then to be encouraged to walk with Jesus into the mission field themselves. Now I know probably right then I created some anxiety in you folks. Wait, I can't go on the mission field. Uh, I have a family. I'm, I'm going to school. I, I have a job. You don't understand, Pastor. I, I can't do that. Folks, listen. Our mission field is right outside our front door. It's Walmart. <laughs> it's the place where we get our hair cut. <laughs> it's our school. It's our place of work. It's our, it's our neighborhood. It's, it, it's the garage where you get your car fixed. It's wherever that you do life. And maybe that scares you. And if that's true, then you are in good company. And one day God said to Abraham, Go from your country, uh, leave your people and your father's household to the land where I, that I will show you. Oh, really, God? Pack up my possessions, sell my house, leave my family and friends, leave everything that I know and love, and move far away? God, this is so inconvenient. Or Moses, one day he's, he's tending his sheep and he sees a, a burning bush and God calls him to go back to Egypt and, and free his people from bondage to slavery. And he is so terrified, the Bible says, that he hides his face from God. He says, God, they, they won't believe me. I'm, I'm not an, an eloquent speaker. God, don't ask me to do that. And, and not only was he not a good speaker, but, but Moses had a past. God, I, I murdered somebody in Egypt. There's a, a warrant for my arrest back there. God, I, I can't go back. I've got a past. Or Isaiah. And one day he is sitting in, in the temple in Jerusalem when suddenly and unexpectedly he has this astonishing vision. He sees God seated upon his throne, angelic beings flying around the throne, and, and the building shakes and is filled with smoke. And Isaiah immediately senses the, the overwhelming presence of God, and he falls on his face and he says, Woe is me, for I am a, a man of unclean lips. God, I'm not holy enough. God, I'm, I'm not spiritual enough. God, I don't know the Bible well enough. 
But God calls him anyway. One day, God called Jeremiah. And he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, for I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah replies, no, God, I, I, I don't know how to speak. I, I'm only a youth. I can't do that. God, I'm, I'm only a teenager. Don't ask me to do that. God, this is, this is the wrong time. I need more experience under my belt. God, I can't do that. I'm too young. In Acts chapter 9, there's a guy named Ananias. He's minding his own business. He's having his quiet time, his, his devotional time with the Lord. And, and he's in his home and he's comfortable and, and in Damascus. And suddenly God interrupts him and says, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in this vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, that's you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias replies, whoa, whoa, whoa. God, everybody knows about Paul. He's not here on a good mission. He's here to arrest Christians and to, and to throw your holy people in jail. He's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Does Ananias want to go? Absolutely not. He's terrified. God, this guy is killing people. God, you're asking me to risk my life. What the Lord says, Ananias, go, because Paul is my chosen instrument. You see, in the New Testament, we have this doctrine called the priesthood of all believers. And it comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, in which these words are written, You are the people of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation claimed by God and given the mandate to proclaim the triumphs of the one who has called them out of darkness into light. Now, folks, he's not talking about full-time church workers. He's not just talking to pastors here. He's not just talking to, to priests. He's talking to all of us. God calls all of us, no distinction, no exceptions. And this is so important because nothing kills a church faster than the idea that we hire pastors to do ministry. No. Pastors are hired to equip the saints. That's you. To do the work of ministry. God calls all of us to do it. I've heard people say, you know, I'm just a layperson. I'm not trained. I don't know the Bible. But folks, this is totally incompatible with what Scripture teaches. We don't belong to an institution. We're a part of this worldwide movement. We're a part of this authentic community, a dynamic fellowship of believers whose only concern is fulfilling Christ's mission in the world. That is our calling. Now, the truth is, very few of us feel adequate to respond to that calling. But for some reason, that's the people that God chooses. God can do something with those who see their inadequacies and, and shortcomings, but who put their trust in God rather than in themselves. You see, God never chooses uh, people who are particularly holy. God doesn't choose people who are in, in intelligent or creative or imaginative or, or daring. He doesn't call us when it's convenient. God doesn't call us when we welcome it or, or, or when it's comfortable. When God asks us to do something, it's not so much that he believes us 
competent to accomplish it, but to see if we're willing to try something for which we are incompetent. And so God doesn't look at me and say, okay, Mark has these skill sets and he has these talents, and so I'm going to give him this particular job to do. Instead, he looks at me and he says, let's see if Mark will trust me enough to jump into this even though he knows it's way, way over his head. And the truth is, it's really not even about you or me. It's really about God's mission. And it's not really about doing good things for others. You can do good things to others without God. Lots of nice people do lots of nice things in this world without giving a, a thought about God. For you and I, it's about doing what God calls us to do. It's about getting out of our comfort zone, but mostly it's about helping people to find Jesus and then glorifying God in the process. And it may be reckless, and it may be distasteful, and it may even be dangerous. And your family and your friends might even think that you're weird for doing it. Last November, uh, a man named John Allen Chu was killed when he went to share the gospel uh, with an isolated tribe on an island off the coast of India. And he did it knowing that his chances of being killed were about 100%. It happened before. A lot of people heard about this story and they thought, that guy was crazy. And maybe he was. But you know, we have some crazy people right here in our church. Sue Black. <laughs> One of our church members decides to give up her kidney for a stranger. Now, um, I might be able to give up my kidney for somebody I dearly love. But for a stranger? Doesn't that seem kind of crazy to do that? See, people don't mind us being slightly religious. They might even see it as a good thing. Your friends and family might think, you know, it's really good that, that Bob's going to church now, you know, because... Maybe um, that will help improve Bob's manners. Or, or, or maybe he'll dress a little bit more appropriately now that he's going to church. Or, or maybe his coarse language will begin to get cleaned up a little bit. But when they see that you're taking your religion seriously... When it starts affecting your lifestyle, when it starts aff affecting your political choices, when it begins affecting how you spend your money, it might make them a little nervous. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas feel called to go to Macedonia. And they go. They don't have a plan. They don't have anything prearranged. They don't even know what they're going to do when they get there. And they arrive in Philippi. They met a woman named Lydia. And through their conversation, Lydia came to faith in Christ. Guess what happened next? A crowd beat the tar out of them. And then to add insult to injury, they are arrested for starting a riot and thrown into the slammer. And then they're kicked out of Philippi. They go to the next town, which happens to be Thessalonica, to talk about Jesus. Another riot breaks out. People get beat up. 
and Paul and Silas have to leave in the middle of the night. And what's the complaint against them? They're turning the world upside down. Would that people would say that about us? But what would compel a person to travel from town to town, getting beat up and chased out of town? Who in their right mind would want to do that? Our church takes a, a yearly mission trip every October uh, to Mexico to work in an orphanage. orphanage. There's an um, uh, information meeting that's today, and I, I hope that even if you're not sure, you know, that at least go in and check it out, get some information about it. And Paula, you said you went how many times to Mexico? Four, four or five times? Okay, Paula is one of these crazy people that I'm talking about, Okay. But many years ago, when we first started going to Mexico, it was a lot different. And our daughter, Krista, uh, wanted to go. And when we picked her up and we were driving her home, uh, she shared with us uh, uh, about the long bus trip. Yeah, we used to take a bus trip, if you can believe it, to Mexico. <laughs> she talked about the oppressive heat, the stink of, of rotting trash and open sewers, about the primitive accommodations like outdoor showers and and carrying a, a bucket of water with you uh, to flush the toilet. I mean, whenever you, know, when, whenever you saw somebody carrying a bucket of water uh, around the compound, you knew they were getting ready to go take, uh, well, I'll stop there. You knew what they were about to do. I mean, not exactly the, the comfort in. Now, before you're saying to yourself, oh, man, there's no way I'm going on that, let me say that we have significantly upgraded the Mexico trip, okay? I, I, I took it a few, I went on a few years ago. It was a great trip, and, and, you know, if I can go on something like that, anybody can go. I mean, you know, my, my idea of camping out is to go to the Holiday Inn, so you can do it too. Plus, we don't take a bus anymore, we fly. But here's the point. The whole time that she was sharing this with us, she was Beaming. What would make a person do that? Give up a, a week of vacation time to travel to another country, work their buns off, and get nothing for it? Why is that? People are longing for God's leading in their lives. See, Neil's wife, Alyssa, she's the one that plans most of these trips. She's done it year after year after year. She gets nothing for it. Why is that? I think it's because people are longing for God to lead them in their lives. That we want to do something that's significant, something that has purpose. We want to be used by God to make a difference. And I believe that's why we were created. I believe that our Creator wired us that way. And so let me ask you, what... What's God calling you to? Do you know what it is? Is there something that, that won't let you go? Maybe you feel this, this sense of urgency to it. Maybe it's something that you believe needs to be changed. And, and maybe not only is it compelling, maybe it's specific. Maybe it's a, a ministry with the homeless. Or maybe it's leading a, a small group. Maybe it's visiting the sick in the hospital. Or, or maybe it's bringing change to your community. But it won't let you go. But you can't. Find it in yourself to say yes. What would it take to change that? 
from no way to okay. Like Jonah, maybe you're hearing the word of the Lord say to you, go. Folks, listen to it. Obey it. Don't run the other way. And don't be content to sit and to do nothing. One person named Margaret had a long bout with depression. But through the ministry of this church and counseling, she found freedom. And now she wants to help other people find the spiritual healing that she has found. Another person named Tom was in a life group, and one day his, his life group leader was going to be out of town, and so he asked Tom if he would lead the group, and he enjoyed it so much that six months later, Tom was leading his own life group. He tried it. It was a wonderful fit, and he's still doing it today. Is it hard? Sure, it's hard, folks. It's normal to have doubts about where God is leading us. The Bible is full of examples of, of people uh, who are trying to discern where God is leading. Sometimes it, it's like Philip. You know, God says, go on the road south towards Gaza, and, and there's somebody there you're going to meet up with. Oh, okay, and, and he goes, and somebody is sitting there in a chariot saying, can you show me what this passage from Isaiah is all about? And he does, and he finds Christ, and he's baptized. Maybe it's more like like. Paul and Silas, everywhere you turn, you find a, a road blocked until finally you find this open road all the way to Macedonia. Other times, they're simply in need, and somebody says to you, man, can you help out just once, just a little bit? Can you help out? And, and then it blossoms into something deeply rewarding. See, sometimes the way is very clear, and sometimes it's uncertain. But I can tell you with a certainty that God has a place for all of us who want to follow him. That he has given you talents and he's given you gifts essential to his plan for you. And the secret to the good life is to discover and use these gifts to the glory of God. Because we're the happiest when we're doing what God wants us to be doing. And helping you discover that, that's the DNA of this church. It's what we're all about. It's who we are, and we're not going to let up until everyone in this congregation has said, here I am, Lord, send me. And I know a lot of you have, have, have already done this. In fact, I just want to show you what this church looks like. Would you just raise your hand? Would you raise your hand if, if you have ever uh, been involved in, in caring for the babies of this church? Anytime, would you just raise up your hand? Any church, raise up your hand. Isn't that marvelous? Look at all the hands going up. If you've ever been involved in the children's ministry of this church, would you raise up your hands? Wow, look at all of them going up now. If you've ever been involved in the student ministry of this church, would you raise up your hands? If you've ever been a Bible study leader or a, a life group leader or a Sunday morning Sunday school teacher, would you raise up your hands? Look at all those hands, all these people who have said yes. If you've ever been involved in, in ARM, would you raise up your hands, these people, these men do things all around this community? Would you raise up your hands if you've ever been involved in the, in the worship or music ministry of this church or any church? Would you raise up your hands? Wow. Would you raise up your hands if you've ever been involved in one of our leadership teams here? Any of our leadership teams, would you raise up your hands? If you've ever been involved in our outreach teams, like, like Inner Hospitality Network or WizKids or Appalachian Service Project or our, our Mexico mission trip, would you raise up your hand? I want to see those. Lots of hands. Very, very cool. If you ever served the United Methodist Women, the men's ministry, or amen, would you raise up your hand? Let me see who you are. If you've ever been involved in the caring ministries of this church, Stephen's ministry or Open Arms or one of our prayer groups, would you raise up your hands? We want to see who you are. Look at that. 
If you believe that you have ever heard God's call and you've said yes, would you raise up your hand? I hope every one of you are raising up your hands. I know some of us are still trying to figure out what it is, and that's okay. I mean, I struggled with my calling for years. I tried several times, just like Jonah, to run the other way, and I discovered that you just can't do it. You can't run away from God. And even after I knew that God was leading me to be a pastor, it took me a year to say yes until one night I just gave up. And I knelt down in the bedroom, my bedroom, in my parents' home. I was about 19 years of age. And I said, God, I don't know. I can't figure this out. I don't know why I would ever want to be a pastor. But if this is what you want me to do, God, I surrender. I give up. Take me and use me. How is God calling you? How do you want to be a part of God's movement, this global movement to change the world? Are you ready to say yes? Let's pray. God, for those who have heard your call and said yes, count me in. I will go. We are so, so grateful. What a difference they have made and are making in this church. God, for those of us who are still searching, still listening, still working on it, maybe even feeling incompetent or inadequate, uncertain where you're leading, I pray that today you would give us the clarity and the vision and the strength to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me.